Is it recording? It's recording. Okay. Exciting stuff. Content warning. The following podcast contains strong language, adult conversations, rosen situations, and smoking. Listener discretion is advised. It's September the 23rd, 2020. This is 508, a show about Worcester. This is Brendan Mellican. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm okay. And I am Mike Benedetti. We caught up on the recent news a little bit during last week's show, but since then I spent a week on vacation in California. And then uh, I feel like I'm behind. Brendan, what did I miss? What's going on in the city of Worcester? I know in the world in general, it's just more bad news and that's fine. But how about the city of Worcester? In the city of Worcester, it turns out that you can build half a baseball stadium without actually owning the land uh, that you're building on. Um, Let's see, you can, be completely dismissive of calls for people's uh, people's calls for things like police reform and whatnot, and then paint yourself as a victim when people uh, say not nice things about you. Um, and it was really cold for a couple days, but is now warm again. I think that about covers it all. You know, Brendan, I feel like one of the things of 2020 is that honestly, we're all victims. Even if even if you're doing something bad, <laughs> blowback, the blowback you're going to get, you're going to get victimized for doing something bad as well as to deserve blowback for something bad. It really is not a good situation. I know it's not why we're here today, but it, you know, I, I've been spending a lot of time watching uh, everything from TED Talks to there's a new documentary on a newer documentary on Netflix uh, about social media and whatnot. That's really just focused on a lot of folks who are in early uh, in helping build uh, systems like Facebook and, and whatnot. And yeah, you know what? I, I would just like to acknowledge uh, on a personal level that as someone who spent a lot of time saying, hey, we should be using these tools for more engagement on like a city level and, and other areas, totally wrong. Uh, we ended up screwing up everything uh, and we're all gonna die. And it's pretty much because likes. I'm willing to admit also that any of my encouragement of the city of Western to use social media was uh, very wrong-minded and misguided. And whoever it was who was saying that we shouldn't do that, we don't know who that was because they weren't using social media to communicate that, and so there's no record of it. But whoever was saying that, they were right. They were right. Yeah, I'm Um, totally sorry, dude. You were right, and I'm sorry you were drowned out by millions of voices from around the world that somehow now are uh, participating in local conversations. Shame on us. And honestly, I'll say this too, Whoever the, the people who, unlike me, thought that the uh, baseball stadium was a terrible idea that we should avoid, they were probably also right. Uh, this week, we saw the city manager's latest report on the whole Polar Park development. The baseball stadium is on track, but some of the related developments will be delayed a year or two or reduced in size. The hotel has gone from 262 rooms to 125 rooms. The parking garage, which had been a little bit small, went up to 525 spaces and now is back down to 350 spaces, apparently because of site issues. The city manager says these delays are not a real problem. Um, And I noticed in the positive news, I noticed that one of the adjacent pieces of land nearby, they're planning a candle pin bowling alley. Um, Really? Yeah, yeah. And we just saw Colonial Bowl close, who was the only candle paint alley I knew of in the city. Is there other candle paint in the city currently? I think that's it. Yeah, no, I think that was it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully somebody I has mean, something in their house. We should have one candle paint alley in Worcester, it's true. I, I think we should, it should be like City Hall, really is what it is. It should be uh, 
Yeah, I mean, didn't didn't wasn't Nixon or somebody install like a candle pin bowling alley or a bowling alley in the White House? Yeah, there's one just in the as White a House testament. Basement. Yeah, so that's what we need to do in the basement of City Hall is get a candle pin bowling alley as a way just to preserve our uh, regional history as the inventors of uh, God's sport. Yeah, well, I'm glad they're going to do that. I I would say this. I think that throughout this whole uh, this whole project, you know, since the since the announcement of this project, I don't know that we've had any news that has made this deal seem like a better idea. You know, we've seen any news that's been like, oh, that's a lucky break. Um, you know, I mean, we we haven't had like terrible news, like there being some giant, you know, radiation incident in Kelly Square or whatever. So obviously things could have gone much worse than they've gone, but it just seems like a steady trickle of like, yeah, this isn't great. And and it's not it's not just construction delays because construction delays are, you know, part of what goes on there. And construct, you know, and cost increases are part of what goes on there. But it's just sort of like. You know, slowly reducing the size of the project by by drips and drabs. You know, the economy in general yeah. looking less, looking a lot less strong than it did. You know, back when this idea came out. Um, and you know, my my personal you know dream, of course, had been that this would be such a financially wild thing for the city council to do that there would be a lot of public pushback on any other. Uh, you know, fanciful things that they try to do financially, at least for a generation. And so then there would be a sort of a, like a wash. <laughs> but this doesn't happen. The city council still does all kinds of fun, goofy things with our money and uh, don't get a particular outrage as a result of that. So I was wrong about that. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I will totally eat. Uh, my, my support for the stadium project really was all predicated on uh, the accessory development. Um, I think I've said on this show multiple times, uh, from my perspective, baseball is a near dead sport designed for an AM radio audience. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm sorry for offending, you know, the majority of humans who love or Americans who love baseball. But yeah, I don't get it. But I do really like the idea of the accessory development. Now that that's getting pushed back, uh, the whole thing just seems completely silly especially considering that we don't have a timeline for an end of a pandemic that kind of makes it difficult for people to hang out together. Stadiums, I, I don't know, not a hot commodity today. I think it's good. Maybe that'll well, change uh, tomorrow. Stadium opens. I'll, say, I'll, I'll say this right now, just so that I can have other things that I can say I'm wrong about in the future. It's all gonna, this is all gonna blow over by the time that place opens up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking about that. I think so. Uh, We're out of street. Two Shrewsbury Street restaurants have been cited for violations of state COVID-19 regulations. Brendan, your restaurant has opened back up. How's that going? Uh, good. I mean, we're just an ice cream shop. I don't like to really uh, think of ourselves too. I mean, we are legally, I guess, a, a restaurant, same can come in particular license. But yeah, we opened up last Saturday. People were great, man. And it's, uh, it's you know, I want to make sure I say this the right way. I was definitely here. We'll, we'll stick with the how wrong were we uh, this year idea. I was really anxious. And part of the reason why I closed was students coming back to the city. Um, and, you know, I, I closed a little bit earlier because I was just getting overwhelmed with people who wanted to fight about masks and things like that. And I just needed a break, uh, having been here by myself since March. And um, opening back up, it was definitely something that I was anxious about with all of the area college students being back in the city. And they are awesome. Like just looking out the window on Highland Street, like I don't think these students take their masks off. They might be sleeping in their masks. Like they're definitely showering in them. I hope they're still brushing their teeth uh, or at least moving their masks to do that. But it's it's really forced me to recognize that, you know, when it, when it comes to 
folks not wearing masks. Uh, yeah, it, it really is older locals that seem to be the ones that want to die on that sword, uh, literally and metaphorically. Where, and, and again, all the anxiety I had about reopening right out the window as soon as we hung the smiley face flag outside and WPI students started streaming through and no issues at all with masks. You know, everyone had them on before they were in eyesight of the, the business and it's uh, it was nice. I think people giving each other a lot of space. We have very limited seating indoors. Um, people giving themselves a lot of space inside. I mean, as a business owner, it sucks, right? Like it, it, strictly as a business owner, it sucks. And uh, we're gonna have to figure out ways to work around the, uh, the, the sucky part which, which ends up impacting us from a monetary perspective. But um, at the end of the day, uh, I get a lot of joy in being down here around good people. And it seems like it's been 100% really good people who've come through the door. I'm glad to hear that, that's awesome. Yeah. I uh, I have recently traveled in and out of Massachusetts via airplane and successfully gone through all state regulations. Ask me anything. Um, I was I was I, I tell you I, somehow I think that my picture of what it was going to be like to fly in and out of Massachusetts was maybe based on every single regulation and restriction that I've heard about since February all added together because the sure. reality of it was pretty chill. Um, yeah, the reality of it was pretty chill. I mean, everybody at the airport is wearing masks and the airport seems kind of deserted. And the planes, it seems like, I guess, I mean, they're not putting unrelated, I guess they're, they're not putting unrelated people or people who aren't part of the party, same party, like next to each other, like in adjacent seats that I saw. And boy, hmm. there, was not a lot of, there was a lot of free spaces on the plane, like a lot of empty rows on the plane. Uh, the plane that I flew on coming back from the Bay Area, at least. Um, and yeah, you know, you, you you come in and, you know, they say, hey, you really should like register that you're coming into the state. Um, there's some people, you know, waiting at the gate with clipboards, but they're not like going through every single person. And, uh, you know, it would obviously be, you know, I, I, I don't even want to say it would be trivial to avoid the, the you know, the state uh, regulations coming back in. Like you have to actively want to comply with those regulations to do it. Like if you were just not paying attention, yeah. you would then you would, you know, you would not be pulled into the system. And the system is just basically like, I guess you're just telling the state, like, here's my name and address. And like, I'm coming back in and whether or not you have, uh, what they want from you is they want a negative COVID test that is, less than three days old, which is mm -hmm. weird, obviously, because it means that you could have gotten COVID the day before you returned, and it would be cool with that. I was talking to a friend of mine who is currently professionally uh, designing and building COVID testing robots, and uh, I have some sense now of why there's this three-day rule. Like a lot of different political units, Alaska, other ones like this, have this three-day rule. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that there's, I, I think it's based on the back of the envelope calculation and maybe it's one that made sense in the spring that um, the, the COVID tests, at least the PCR tests are really good at detecting COVID-19. And if you have a very small amount of virus in you, they will still show up as positive. In fact, such a small amount of virus that you're almost certainly not contagious, that you probably need something like three orders of magnitude more virus in you before you would be contagious, typically. And if you have a little bit of virus in you, you would typically 
get an order of magnitude more, meaning 10 times as much every, every day. Oh. So, so, so the, the back of the envelope, so the thing is nobody, like Googling this, I don't find anything about it. And the reason is because nobody has ever actually tested this. And again, this is something which I think maybe regulators back of the envelope back in the spring and is still the thing. Um, and I sort of wish that, that this was something that we knew to be true because, you know, like, I guess there's no way that I can get an instant COVID test, but I would love to just be able to like get an instant test every three days and otherwise, you know, not really take too many precautions and still be able to say, yeah. confidently say to my loved ones, like, hey, I'm not putting you at risk because as soon as I test positive, I'll be testing positive, you know, multiple, I'll have multiple days of leeway to you know quarantine and not be contagious to you but actually we still don't know this is true right. but basically you come up you fill out this form either in person or online and then you know i don't know i got tested the day before i left california and it took a couple of days for the results to come back in so as i was stepping off the plane i didn't have a negative test and so the commonwealth was just basically like okay you should isolate yourself which i had to do anyway because my loved ones more paranoid or at least more uh uh, higher standards than the Commonwealth on this stuff. Um, and yeah, like as a result of that, like basically every day I get a, a text from the Commonwealth saying, if you still haven't gotten a negative thing, you still need to be quarantined. But there's no actual yeah. way for me to then communicate to the Commonwealth, hey, I got the negative thing, stop texting me. So I don't even know. It feels like a very, uh, I mean, I guess it's, a, it, it's like a we're doing something, but I don't know that it feels like an effective public health measure. I think that's a that's a really tough place for a government entity to be in, in the sense that um, what you were talking, I was thinking of, a, I think an easy parallel is a not insignificant amount of cocaine uh, still travels the world via airline. Um, yet I think the average person would think like, oh man, I don't want to bring a big bag of coke on this plane with me, right? Like that's, that's definitely going to land me in federal prison. But people do it every day. And th there's a certain amount of um, I think you have to almost, almost require uh, or, or have a certain amount of faith in the majority of people not traveling the world via aircraft with big bags of cocaine or COVID-19. And I, I think about this all the time that like when, you know, for uh, schools, uh, the schools that are in person, like a lot of them have a system uh, where parents need to basically go, th go through like an e-form every morning uh, and hit a bunch of tech tick boxes saying that like your child hasn't done this, this, and this hasn't been exposed to anyone who's positive, like no risky behavior or whatever before they're allowed to attend classes. And it's, it, it's a system that's really easy to game, but I think for the overwhelming majority of people, there's no obvious upside to gaming it. So we can be somewhat assured that the system is going to work. Are people going to, are, are viruses or bags of cocaine going to slip through the cracks? Absolutely. But for the most part, uh, the system is kind of, it seems to be working, right? Like we haven't, we haven't learned of any massive outbreaks or upticks in cases that seem to be spreading via um, air travel at this yeah. point, from what yeah. I've gathered anyways. And that's yeah. not to say it hasn't happened. I'm sure somebody has bounced around uh, unintentionally uh, shedding virus. But if to your earlier point, you know, people are, are being kept somewhat uh, distant uh, while in the airport and on an airplane, um, it's probably not as risky as it would be if nothing was being done and everyone was just treating planes as normal. Yeah, I'll tell you about 
I'll tell you about the one really good thing about air travel, which is that rather than the uh, flight attendants coming by multiple times and like offering you, you know, different knickknacks each time, they just come by one time and they're like, here's a Ziploc bag that has like pretzels and a tiny water bottle and a sanitary wipe in it. You want this bag or not? And if you want it, you got it. <laughs> and you can just do your thing. And then you can just like hand that bag back to them at the end. And it just feels like, a, you know, like I, I'm sure that people who, you know, want to get a little drink of Sprite or whatever on the plane or a coffee on the plane are kind of bummed. But honestly, I don't know. I never, you know, I'm happy to just like get a, get a, get a cup of water and some pretzels on the plane. That feels fine. I'm actually, I'm with you on that one, man. That was, uh, I probably like yourself, we're similar ages. I, I remember my first experiences with air travel. Like you felt like you were made to feel like you were royalty, right? Like, you know, pilot well, yeah. would be, would come back to your seat and give you little plastic wings. Like you get snacks all the time. There were drinks flowing everywhere. Hell, you could even smoke on planes and carry guns, right? Like that's, <laughs> you could sure. pretty much do anything you wanted to. You could bring For the last 20 planes, years, sure. it's like, Oh, totally. You could bring all sorts of weapons. There was no prohibition on on smoking or, or guns. On I would planes. call a knife. I would call a knife at least a tool, not a weapon. I'm not bringing it. I'm not going to stab sure. somebody on the plane. I'm bringing it there because I'm like whatever. Opening envelopes on the plane, trimming my nails on the plane. How else are you going to open your little bag of pretzels? Opening my pretzel thing, maybe reconfiguring some of my pretzels. I don't know. But for um, the last twenty years, like that has not that that reality has not existed. But I, I feel like the airlines have gone out of their way to make it seem like it was still there. Like, you know, you, you get your, you could place your order for your little box lunch that ends up being the most disappointing thing imaginable. Um, I feel, I feel like it, it, they're, they're better. The airlines are better positioned if they just acknowledge this is a transactional relationship. We don't really care about you at all. We just want to get you to your destination relatively safe. Uh, so here's some snacks. So you don't, uh, starve and uh cause a scene on the plane now leave well, us alone well, we're going to be sitting up front and... well brendan i know you know this but i'll say for uh, occasionally i have have had younger people asking me like what is up with you know planes being so uh like they used to give people so much and now they give people nothing what happened with that and you know this is all because there was a time when the airlines were extremely heavily regulated to the point that uh there was a fixed amount that you could charge for like a given airplane route. And so if two different airlines were both competing on the Boston to San Francisco uh, route, like there was just a number that was basically how much they got to charge. And so if they want to compete against each other, then what they can compete on is the perks that they give you along with the flight. And that was where, well, that was why it was all about the perks. But then of course things get deregulated and, um, you know, it's just been this weird, uh, it's just been this weird uh, uh, thing of inertia where like the airlines are sort of used to giving you perks and you're definitely sort of used to getting the perks, but financially now it doesn't really make sense to get these, to do, to have everything be so perk based. You know, it's kind of like, why do we all get our health insurance via our, our job, right? It's just like this crazy thing that happened at one point because for perk reasons, and then it just ends up being like, calcified into our whole healthcare system. So, you know, I'm kind of in favor of, honestly, I'm pretty in favor of like the airlines, like uh, cutting back on these perks because uh, yeah, like as long as you're willing to like roll with it yourself. And as long as you realize it's not them being a bunch of jerks, it's just them rolling with supply and demand. I think it's pretty reasonable. And that's all I mean is 
if you're as long as we're willing to acknowledge that the days of free little wings from the pilot coming to visit you in your seat are gone i'd be happy with them just putting me in some sort of stasis chamber and shooting me across the planet like inner office mail in one of those old vacuum tubes right like i don't i don't really expect a lot i just want to get somewhere in mostly one piece oh, um, and i totally yeah. i totally got those wings the first time i flew Right. It was such an insane time or it was a beautiful time in our country's history. Maybe <laughs> that, yeah, like that, that some member of the flight crew might come back and give children small pins of of wings. Uh, yeah. yeah. Welcome. Welcome to a, a height above Earth that humans are not supposed to be. We hope you enjoy your yeah. time here. It yeah. was it was really special. I, uh, you know, I had a, I had a, uh, I can't believe we we're just chatting about. I mean, this is kind of like the the blah week it has been in Worcester, or maybe the chill week it's been in Worcester that we're sitting here talking about air flying. Like uh, I, I flew United Basic Economy on the way out there, which has been by far the most restrictive uh, um, flight class that I have flown thus far in my life. I think I think I I think I would have. Uh, I think had I realized what I was signing up for, I think I would have copped up another fifty bucks or whatever. But like the mm -hmm. the carry on that you the carry on that you're allowed to carry is like a tiny tiny carry on. It's like much smaller than a regular carry on. It is the personal item itself. They actually come out and check this. Like you you are not allowed to like you you actually cannot check in via your computer at home. You have to check in at the airport and you have to go up to the desk and the dude at the desk has to look at your bag and be like, yes, you are a cheapskate, but your bag is small enough. And if your bag is too big, you're going to have to check your bag and you're going to have to pay a check bag fee and it's going to be nuts. So like the nice thing about this, I'll say, was that, um, you know, I sort of futzed around on and off for a few days with my bag trying to figure out, could I get my bag small enough? And eventually I was able to do it. And it was actually really delightful to travel with, you know, much less than I would normally carry. Like for decades now, I've been used to flying with just a carry-on, but to fly with just a teeny carry-on is uh, even more liberating in some ways. And uh, yeah, and it was was yeah. definitely worth me, and honestly, it was worth me saving 50 bucks to have that adventure. Um, yeah. Flying Big fan of nothing more than a small backpack. I think that's the way to, way to move, Mike. I think you yeah, made a smart yeah. choice. Well, anyway, so, uh, you know, I don't know. We have we have these COVID regulations, and again, it doesn't feel like the state is necessarily prepared to uh, follow up on what it's asking. And maybe that's a good thing. I mean, I cannot imagine the level. I mean, we would have to have a whole parallel police force around public health, probably, to uh, be able to follow up to the extent that the law is requesting. Um, speaking of speaking of uh, you know us doing gigantic new things that we're maybe not we're not really prepared to do. Uh, since a bunch of our students are having trouble with online classes because they don't have internet access, the Worcester School Committee is considering municipal broadband. Brendan, is municipal broadband a good idea? Yeah, it is. I mean, we've, we've been talking about this one for a long time. And it's, I think, well, anyways, I have been talking about it for a long time and, it, and not actually done any, any meaningful work on it, just been talking about it. It's, I mean, so if you look at what we have in Worcester for a network, it's not really broadband, right? Like what we have is a cable service. Uh, you know, our, our, our provider of, of, of high-speed internet access in the city of Worcester, like most cities, comes via a cable provider. And cable is, is a dying industry. It's been dying for 20 years. Uh, it's been its, its final death knell for 10. Um, we're, we're kind of squarely in death rattle territory at this point. 
so yeah, it just, it makes sense. And it, I, I think it's one of those things that should be viewed as a public utility. And going back to our earlier snark, when we were joking about social media, I think this is actually a big, this is where I think our next big national, maybe global conversation is going to start to fall. We have entrusted, uh, not intentionally, it's just been the way markets kind of shifted based on user interaction and whatnot. We've entrusted the primary form of communication uh, for most humans into the hands of a really small number of corporations that have little to no oversight. And that's a really terrifying thing, right? Like, they, they, it, they have, it's they so wildly. They have infamously bad, like, consumer relations too, right? Like, if you look at the list of most hated companies or companies that have the least consumer satisfaction, there's always, there's at least, at least as of a few years ago, it was a bunch. Of, it was all cable companies. People. Hate yeah. People. No. Totally. It, it. They people despise them, and, and and I think they despise their consumers to be. <laughs> Just with you too. Yeah. It's their, their consumers are the only thing that keep them from just spending all of that 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 yeah that, that, I mean, those tax dollars and fees I mean, that they collect. Uh, speaking of whatever speaking they want. Of, speaking of economics, I mean, in, you know, in the city of Worcester, cable is a monopoly, and so you know, all you have to do is just uh, be reasonable enough that like the city of Worcester is going to renegotiate with you every five years or whatever for your monopoly contract, and you know that's all you got to do. Like, there's no real. I mean. I guess that maybe they, they upsell people on some services, but by and large, it, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a customer service focused business because of that weird angle on it. No. And, and what you just said is I think the most important part of why this is an important discussion for the city to have. If you go back and you look at our most recent charter and you read into the uh, framework for the cable commission that handles that contract that you just talked about coming up for renegotiation periodically, that, that cable commission and that contract initially didn't exist to put the city of Worcester in a position where it had to choose its best service provider. It, it, and it, this is going to sound crazy because we've come so far from an industry perspective when it comes to cable and network uh, infrastructure. When Greater Media Cable, Worcester's first cable company, started, it was at a time when cable was very new. And the fear for municipalities was, we don't want to be left holding the bag for all these massive infrastructure upgrades that are going to be taking place um, if these companies go out of business and Americans decide they don't want cable, right? So there was this consumer demand for the programming, but there wasn't like any proven metrics to, by which to judge how good these companies were going to be at delivering the big promises that they were making that were brand new promises, right? Like prior to that, rabbit ears, antennas, that's what we were dealing with. So that contract is actually there to insulate and protect the city of Worcester. But because now the companies that we contract with are arguably or inarguably way more powerful and have way more political juice than the city of Worcester, the, the, the tone of the contract is kind of flipped, right? Where it's now the, the city of Worcester that is sort of beholden to whatever, in this case, Charter Spectrum and, and other cities, you know, uh, Comcast, whatever the case may be, would like to do and provide. And that's not the way the system is supposed to work. It's, I'll, I'll, I'm kind of, I might be a little bit of an extremist on this front, but I really do believe that the cable industry is one of the bigger industries that you and I will see die very, very soon at, at a minimum in our lifetime. Um, or at the maximum, I mean, just 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 in terms of of saying, oh, we have all of these uh, uh, 
whatever you call it, synchronous programs. Like we have this like real time broadcast of a certain number of channels, 50 channels well, the, or a thousand channels. Exactly. Or that the, whole the, thing. As being, so if you go back 10 years, the idea of a la carte pricing was almost non-existent. And the idea of any of the channels that, that uh, you think of as, as being packaged with, bundled with your, your cable subscription, being available separate from that was unheard of. Now, every service that you would, you would rely upon charter to receive in your home is available as an individual buy, right? So, you know, it, it, what, what you, you name a channel and you can get it as a streaming service. And that's why I actually think it, the, the, the conversation is correct to be framed around municipal broadband. Let charter continue doing whatever the heck it is that it thinks it's doing with cable and providing a valuable service to humanity. Just have a, have a municipal service that provides a pipe, right? Like that, that, that provides a networking capability to the home so that a consumer can then decide what they want to bring in, right? Like, and I, I, I'm probably an outlier to an extent on this front. I haven't had cable as long as I've owned my house, which is now 15, 16 years. Um, and I, I, I like it that way. I do have to use charter obviously because that's the provider for broadband. Uh, but the, the services that we rely upon for what I guess Americans would consider TV are all streamed. And I also think that's the way it should be. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, the, the cost to me as a consumer ended up being way lower because I'm only bringing in the things that I want, not the things that I have to have uh, to pad charters or Spectrum's account. Yeah, and I mean, well, all we have to do is look to the other side of the Lake Sigmund Bridge um, to see a, a relatively successful model on this front. Selco, uh, Shrewsbury's, uh, you know, electric company, runs um, the town's cable and broadband service. Uh, and it's it's been successful, right? I mean, it's viewed as very popular by the, by the town for the most part. Obviously, like any service, it's not going to be without its issues. Um, but, you know, Selco out in Shrewsbury was a, a pretty early model for in a, uh, a, a community-funded and a community-delivered uh, cable and uh, internet experience, and yeah, we're we're crazy not to not to go down that road here. And so, is the is the reason school-wise is the reason that we would want to have a municipal internet thing that then the city could say, okay, everybody is going to have access to some, you know, some some free tier of internet access via their cable connection in the city of Worcester. I think that's the goal, and, and I think that's a reasonable goal. It's again, you know, it, it, big picture. You know, when you when you're looking at like what's left of journalism, right? I mean, it's encapsulated in things like Facebook and Twitter. I don't mean to be dismissive of you know the the efforts by you know, locally the Telegram and the Pulse and Worcester Magazine and what have you, but they've shrunk dramatically as these online entities have grown. Uh, you are inadvertently cutting out a significant portion of the populace from engaging with what are now right, wrong, or indifferent, the primary forms of human communication by virtue of not having high-speed internet access in the home. That's an obvious equity issue, uh, and it's one that we shouldn't allow to continue. Hmm. Is there, is there, I mean, is an alternative here for us to say to Charter, like, okay, you got to give everybody some some level of free internet access and here the city will the city itself will pay you for this so or the school I mean, system will pay you for this and this is i think one of those problematic uh issues that 
you know, where well, nobody saw this pandemic coming, right? So that's probably the sort of thing that should have been in our um, uh, contract with going back to greater media cable, right? Like that, that yeah, there, there is always going to be some form of this service, even going back to when it was just television, it was just programming available to everyone in the city. Uh, it, I mean, but unfortunately, how do you, you're not in a, you're not in a good negotiating position uh, as a municipality if you're doing that in the middle of a crisis. Um, and I, I think that's where we were kind of caught off guard with the, 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 the obvious necessity of access being a very real component to contemporary education, at least for the, the immediate future. Um, and there, there isn't an easy solution to how, I mean, the city just isn't in a position to make Spectrum do that. And that, that stinks. You know, I mean, I, I think it'd be easy for the folks that, that have uh, looked at um, things like Muni broadband and whatnot for some time to do the I told you so thing, but I don't think that's fair at all because nobody really saw this coming. Uh, the reality is though that, that that is the problem. We're not in a good, a good, good negotiating position right now, but there's really nothing stopping us from trying to do it better ourselves. And we, we are, I, as a city, I think we are uniquely sized this goes back to uh, you know when Google was starting to farm out communities for its early uh, fiber efforts, right? Like they were looking at cities that were the size of Worcester. Uh, we did try to get that; it didn't work out, whatever. But it's you know we're, we're geographically we're just big enough um, from a population we're just big enough without being too big where you can uh, lay the groundwork for connectivity, whether it's new infrastructure. Um, or a new system of, of, of service provider with relative ease. Uh, and, and I hope, it's, I guess for me personally, I think one of the reasons I would like to see that happen here is because I think we stand to be a good test case for other communities, both our size, but also smaller and larger. Uh, a city like Worcester should be able to show other communities that this is viable and um, it, it's, it's a net win for your community. In commodities news, Brent crude oil is $42 a barrel, up 3% on the week and down 35% on the year. It is still not recovered from the crash this spring. Bitcoin is $10,481, down 5% on the week and up 8% on the year. Today's Worcester Air Quality Index is 34 due to ozone. For particular matter, particulate matter, it is 23. Both of these are in the good range. In San Francisco, where the air when I was there was garbage, the Air quality index is 27 today. You know, I think I complained last week about, or last time about air quality index and what a weird, what a weird measurement it is. And I don't know. I feel like we got to, we got to have a slightly different thing than AQI, but it's an interesting, uh, especially having been out in San Francisco, it's an interesting uh, thing for me to consider now. You know, like but you uh, and I talked about this a bit when you yeah. came back. Um, you know how how different, you know, that, especially the West Coast. You know, the the large like. LA in particular, I know my first experience flying into LA, like it was like flying into a dystopian uh, nightmare. Like it's just like desert, 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 clear skies. And then this, uh, this, this undescribable haze that just appears before you that you just flew through this crowd. And then suddenly like one of the largest cities in the world just appears out of nowhere under this haze. It, it's, it's kind of interesting how we used to, 
not really care that much about how garbage our air quality was in large cities, not just here in the U.S., but globally. We've done a pretty decent job of cleaning uh, our air <laughs> to, to an extent. Yeah, so I, we probably do need to re reconfigure that index a little bit, only because just in our lifetimes, we've seen the, the wildest of wild swings <laughs> from one end to the other. And um, yeah, you, I think you were telling me that what you saw in – the Bay Area was not too dissimilar from what things were like when you first were out in the West Coast. Oh, I mean, what I saw, the, uh, the best days when I was there were as bad as the worst days when I was there in the night, when I was there in the 90s, I think, when I was in LA in the 90s. But hmm. the worst days when I was in San Francisco, I think were still better than Victorian London, which is shocking, but they were definitely days where you would not want to be outside. And there were, in fact, not a lot of people outside. Um, yeah, you know, and being inside only cuts that by 20% or something, I think, but it cuts it enough that you definitely want to stay inside and hopefully you have a, a HEPA filter or something around there. I mean, it, it, it does make me realize that we take for granted decent air quality, even, even having, you know, had garbage air quality as an adult, I had forgotten how bad garbage air quality is. And, uh, that I do appreciate that, you know, um, yeah, that that's not that that's not the standard anymore. I mean, I, there was you know there was a time when the air quality index in Worcester, you know, on a bad day would have been literally ten times what it is today. There would have been ten times as much particulate matter in the air on a bad day in Worcester as there is today in Worcester, and that is a lot of particulate matter. That is a real different quality of life living in the city, um, and you know. I, I certainly hope that we can continue to see that, that we at some point maybe see manufacturing come back to this country and you know some reindustrialization of this country. But like, man, I hope we can do it and keep the air quality good because like, it's a weird trade-off to have to make, you know. It's wild. It's uh, I, I have you know this, but I mean, I've struggled with asthma as an adult in just for the last couple of years, um, and it's it's amazing that like I mean I, I can. I can basically tell you what the air quality is like just from walking outside and having it hit you uh, like a ton of bricks. And I, I did not know, I, I never knew what, what, what that, what people were trying to describe when they talked about what their asthma was like as kids, uh, yeah. experiencing that for the first time as an adult and that the pressure that, that goes on your lungs is, is kind of amazing. Yeah, I too would like uh, less particulate matter, Mike. We'll see if you can put in a good word on that. I tell you, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of having a HEPA filter too. I would definitely suggest people should get this. Don't get it now because the prices are like twice as twice that they should be because of everybody in California needing one. So like, take a little break, but maybe as a nice Thanksgiving or Christmas gift to yourself, especially the one that the wire cutter has as their top HEPA filter. I mean, that thing will sit there and it will it has a little sensor in it, and like normally it's not even on. It's just kind of sitting there quiet in the corner and then as the air quality in your room gets worse because maybe there's dust kicking around or somebody burns dinner or whatever this thing will sucker will turn on for a little bit and clear up your air and you know like clean air is good man clean air is a nice thing to have like uh yeah i'm glad that we can do it without like uh you know in, industrial processes in most of our country but uh man like clean air is good clean air is good clean water is good we're doing a good job in clear clean water it feels like what's that I said, no, those are all nice things. Hell yeah, we're, we're clean water. We've got river otters back in Worcester. And uh, those are some of the most, uh, th th those are like your proverbial canary in the coal mine when it comes to waterways. The, the, the first animal is to skip town as soon as things start getting polluted. When you see the otters come back, you know you're doing okay. 
mean, let's keep it up, Worcester. Like, you know, there's still plenty of times during the year when your water turns brown because of debris and the pipes getting shaken into the water. And there's still certainly times of the year where you're not going to have any water service. And, you know, I presumably there will be the point at which our whole water system will fall apart because we're not maintaining it properly. But until then, man, Worcester's doing a great job providing us water. Yeah. Keep it up. Keep it up. And let's, 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 let's replace some of those rotting pipes at some point, guys. Let's think about it at least. Um, I don't know, Brendan. I think that's all for this week's 508. I got uh, nothing else. We, we do welcome questions and comments at pieandcoffee at gmail.com. And uh, till next week, Worcester, remember, you can bench more than you think you can.